What an interesting passage. Yeah. It's really very interesting. We're introduced to one of the major cities in the Roman Empire. We have the third appearance of this rather mysterious man. We don't know a lot about him. This man, Barnabas. It's the beginning of the public ministry of the Apostle Paul. And it's where the name of Christian came from. What a lot of questions it answers. <laughs> We've been looking at the book of Acts and we are still looking at the transition that there was unfolding the story of the church from an exclusively Jewish church to a church which eventually became uh, especially Gentile, largely Gentile in, in due time. Following Stephen's martyrdom, there was intense persecution, if you remember. Then there was the conversion of Saul, or Paul as he was known later, and then he sent to his hometown of Tarsus for his own safety, because the Jews in Jerusalem are about to kill him. And there was a period of peace for the uh, churches. And then there's that story of Peter and Cornelius, and Cornelius, the first Gentile believer, and his house that we know about. And then, I, where we finished last week, I don't know whether you sense their surprise. What is it they said? Then, to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Can you sense the amazement? They thought before it was all Jews. But Jesus was a Jew, they were all Jews, and it all happened in a Jewish context. And then suddenly, God's opened all this up to the Gentiles as well. And so Dr. Luke, he now goes on to show us exactly how that happened. And we're told that uh, in that persecution, those that were scattered went everywhere, telling the good news about Jesus. Remarkable, you may think. But there were some who came from Cyprus uh, and Cyrene, North Africa, who began to tell the gospel to Gentiles. Now things take a remarkable turn. And we're introduced to the city of Antioch. Antioch is the third, or was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. The experts tell us uh, it had a population of about 500,000. It was big for those days. It was a very cosmopolitan population, like big cities are today. Greeks, Romans, Orientals from Persia, India, even China. It's a real mixture of people. And there was a large colony of Jews as well there. But it was a Gentile city. It was Greek in language and culture. It was an important commercial center, much more important than Jerusalem for that matter. 
It was renowned for many fine buildings. There were temples for some of the Greek and the Roman gods. And there was the worship that went on in connection with them. Generally speaking, morals were fairly lax in those days. And uh, there'd be the marketplace, meats offered to idols, and all of those things. Now, whereas previously it had been God who had prompted Cornelius to send to Peter, and it was God that prompted Peter to go to Cornelius, this was happening now without any prompting at all, as far as we know, except that these preachers were so excited about the gospel, and I would think so blessed by the Holy Spirit, that they were preaching the gospel indiscriminately to anybody who would listen. Not necessarily the Gentiles at the synagogue. That, that may have been. There were always some Gentiles that went to the synagogue. But to any Gentiles who would listen. And we're told a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Wonderful. Remarkable. The leaders in Jerusalem... 300 or 350 miles away, get to hear about this. This is something really significant. So just as they'd sent a delegation to Samaria some time back uh, to find out about Philip's preaching and the response, and just as they'd uh, inquired with Peter, Peter, what had you been doing going to Cornelius? So they send a man up now to Antioch to find out what's been happening. This is the third mention of Barnabas. The first one was back uh, in Jerusalem. He was not Jerusalem-born. He was Cyprus-born. But he was obviously in Jerusalem at the time of the very early church. And uh, he was one that uh, brought the proceeds of a land sale and presented it to the apostles for the support of the early church. And even then, he was noted in character and he was called the son of encouragement. It's the kind of man he was. The second mention of Barnabas was after Saul, that obsessive persecutor of the church, after Saul was converted. And if you remember the story from some Sundays ago, you will know that after a while, he came up to Jerusalem and the leaders were a bit afraid of him and his sincerity and honesty were questioned. Who was it that got alongside of him? It was Barnabas. And Barnabas that listened to his story. Barnabas that believed him and brought him to the apostles. This was his character. And then later on, after our passage today, we find that Barnabas gets alongside his cousin, the young man, John Mark, who dropped out of the first missionary journey of Paul. And I believe he rescues him for Christian ministry that he got into later on again. This was the kind of man that Barnabas was. And so they send Barnabas. He's described as a man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. 
a good man. I think it's possible for us to overlook Barnabas. We think about Peter, perhaps Philip in his preaching to the Samaritans, and we think about Paul and Silas and their great uh, things that they did and the sufferings that they endured and so on. But, you know, it isn't always the people up front apparently doing great things that God uses. He uses a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. And we need encouragers, don't we? We can't all be up front. (laughs) We can't all be uh, foremost in leadership. But we can be like Barnabas, a man full of the Holy Spirit, a good man, full of faith. So this is the man that was sent to investigate this happening. It says he arrived and he saw what the grace of God had done. Do you think he was surprised? I think probably he was. Because, as we've said, the church had largely been a Jewish church until now. What did he do? You can guess. He encouraged them. This was his character. He exhorted them to go on following the Lord. And it says, Then a great number of people were brought to the Lord. It was a remarkable time. Do you think he was a bit overwhelmed? He might well have done. But the thought came to him, I know just the man for this job. He's a man that when he was converted, God told him that he was to be a light for the Gentiles. And here I am in this Gentile church. So off he goes to Tarsus, it says, to look for Saul. Didn't send a message. (laughs) He went to see him. And he brought Saul back to Tarsus. He doesn't say so, but you can imagine Barnabas encouraging Saul. eh? This is a job for you. How did Barnabas see the grace of God? What, What does it mean that he saw the grace of God? Does it mean that, well, he found these nice people prepared to welcome someone from Jerusalem Um, was it someone, a Gentile, a lot of Gentiles who were prepared to be friendly towards the Jews? Was it a better class of Gentile that he met, uh, wanting to reform their lives or wanting to just turn away from the old ways? If we look at our New Testament, it's very clear what he saw. The evidence for the grace of God (laughs) is there in our New Testaments. And that's what he saw. He saw, first of all, Gentiles worshipping the God who had revealed himself to the Jews. They had come to worship this God. They'd left the Greek and the Roman deities with their often rather reprehensible human-like behavior, and they had turned away from the idolatry that went with it, 
and they listened to what these preachers were telling them about the true and the living God. And they'd come to realize that they were accountable to this God. And they were now honoring him in just the way that he was being honored in Jerusalem. He was the God who had revealed himself. They had discovered the forgiveness of sins. Important part of the New Testament gospel. All that they might once have done to earn the favor of the gods, they realized was foolishness. And they didn't need to do that to win the favor of this God of the Jews because he had sent his son and there was forgiveness of sins. They had learned that this Jesus was going to return one day. That was uh, an integral part of the preaching of the early Christians, the early preachers. And what Barnabas saw was that these people were followers of Jesus. They'd not become Jews, but they were followers of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. They were his disciples. They had a master. Onlookers and perhaps family and friends of some of these new Christians would have seen that they were living in a different direction, different kind of people, and their lives were different. They stood out. They weren't living like they used to live. Not the same way as regards religion or their sexual morality, their personal integrity, their relationships with other people, this coming to believe in God and his son Jesus Christ changed their lives. Remarkable. And they saw too that their lives centered around this Jesus. They were not enthusing about a new religion they were taken up with this Jesus. What he had done, what he was going to do, and what he wanted them to do. It was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And so the people looking on, what could they do but call them Christians? This wasn't a badge that they made up for themselves. It was when people looked at their lives and, and said, well, just Jesus Messiah, Christ, that sums them up. And so that's where the name came from. We read about another city in the empire where people turned to the Lord and it was described like this. They turned from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his son from heaven. That's what Barnabas saw. Totally different people. And when this happens, it's a mark of the grace of God. It's what God does in us. It changes us. It gives us a new outlook 
a new way of thinking. We want to do things differently. It turns us around. And I think many of us this morning have had this very same experience of the grace of God. And this is what Barnabas saw, and that's how it was he recognized the grace of God. Now we just need to pause for a minute. These marks, these things, are still what marks out a person as a Christian. A belief in God. The God of the Bible. Not a God as we think he ought to be, or we would like him to be, but as he has revealed himself in the Bible. And a Christian believes in the God of the Bible. Not a God that he has worked out for himself and he describes for himself. But it is the God who has revealed himself. And then a Christian believes in the forgiveness of sins. He doesn't just hope for it in a vague sort of way, but he believes that it is a gift of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now we are familiar with the name of Whitfield here in Gloucester. When Whitfield was just beginning his ministry and he had just discovered the gospel and the truth and forgiveness of sins and he met a man called Howell Harris, a Welshman. And when they were uh, coming together, the first question that they asked was, do you know your sins are forgiven? That to them was the characteristic of the gospel uh, in, those, in that particular time. And a Christian is one who believes in the forgiveness of sins. It's a promise of the gospel that we believe. Let's go on. A Christian is one who expects the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't know when. And when people try and work it out, they prove how foolish they are. But he said that he would return. And we are told this is part of the belief of the early church, that the Son of God who gave his life for us and rose again, is coming again. It's another part of the New Testament gospel. And then we said that these people were disciples. And a Christian is a disciple. And he's glad to bear that name of Christian. It's an honor. And all these things result not just in a lot of religious activity, but in a changed life where we aim to live in the light of what God has shown us. We don't take our ideas from what everybody thinks around us or what we would like to do, but we follow what he says. I believe the New Testament shows us that we have no right to call ourselves Christian if these marks are not evident in our life. Hmm. Well, as we said, 
Barnabas perhaps was overwhelmed at the task ahead of him. So he goes off and fetches Saul, or Paul as we came to know him. Now, he had been in Tarsus for a few years. They'd sent him to Tarsus, his hometown, for his own safety, because they were trying to kill him in Jerusalem. But Barnabas brings him, and as far as we know, this was the beginning of the public ministry of the Apostle Paul. And the situation was one of what we would call today revival. There were people all over the place turning to this Lord Jesus. It was remarkable. Gentiles. The Jerusalem church could not have imagined it. The work was not without its problems. If you know your New Testament, you can read Galatians 2 and you know there were problems and there were probably others. But overall, people were turning to the Lord. Paul and Barnabas were teaching them and it was a remarkable time. It became an interracial church very quickly. A couple of chapters on, we find that amongst the leaders... There's one probably a black African and someone from North Africa as well. And uh, very likely there was more than one congregation. Remember it was a large city. No buses or cars or bicycles in those days. And probably the believers met in small groups. They may have got together from time to time. But it's likely that there were a number of congregations. There were at least five leaders uh, very quickly that we read about in Acts. What can we say about this church? What, what are the remarkable things about it? Well, one obviously is that it was going to become the base for the first deliberate missionary activity. That's going to be our topic probably in a couple of Sundays' time. I don't know. So we won't dwell on that today. But it is interesting that this first deliberate reaching out actually came from Antioch and not from Jerusalem itself. The second thing that's very obvious about this church is their concern for believers in need. It, uh, it started with some, a prophet coming down from Jerusalem with some of his colleagues and it was predicted that there was going to be a severe famine over the entire Roman world. So the believers, and here they are called disciples, the believers decided that they wanted to help their fellow Christians in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was having or was going to have a hard time. So these new Gentile believers decided they would send help to their Jewish brothers and sisters. We can take this all for granted, but actually it was quite remarkable. So this help was going to be, obviously, in a monetary com uh, offering. So we read that it was voluntary. They, they decided, they, they all wanted to participate in this. And it was united. It doesn't say some of them decided they wanted to help. The believers wanted to help. 
we're told. We're told too that it, it was an individual matter. It wasn't that the leader said, well, we'll all give so many shekels or whatever. We're told that each one gave according to his ability. There would have been some near the breadline themselves. Others would have been more well-to-do. But each gave according as they were able. In other words, they gave money that they would have spent on themselves and they gave it to help these believers in Jerusalem. Believers in Jerusalem who once upon a time as Jews would have despised them as Gentiles. Now they were brothers in the faith and sisters in the faith and they wanted to help. Further evidence of the grace of God in their lives. And I think this is an illustration of how we should give today. Voluntarily. Nobody makes us. Individually and according to our ability. We give money, not that we wouldn't use, but money that we would spend on ourselves if we didn't give it away. The grace of God in their lives. And the collection complete, what do they do? They send their leaders, Paul and Barnabas, off to, to Jerusalem to deliver the money. What does this have to say to us? Well, perhaps you'd be interested to know that there is uh, a, a city called Antioch today. It's known as Antakya. Same place. It's now in Turkey. There are at least... It's only 40,000 population now, <laughs> very small. There are at least two believing congregations in Antakya. And I know that at least one of them is reaching out to the Syrian refugees that have come across the border. So they're true to their heritage, aren't they? What about us? There's plenty of opportunity for us today to show a similar concern for suffering Christians. Barnabas Fund. You notice that name again? <laughs> the Encouraging Fund. The Barnabas Fund is continuing, continually telling us of Christians in need. Christians that have been chased out of their villages. Christians whose homes have been burned down. Women who have been made widows and children made orphans for the sake of Jesus. Only this past week they've been telling us of the difficulties of some senior citizens going back to the towns that ISIS or the IS destroyed in Syria. And they're going back to utter devastation with very, very little. Open doors reports the cases of those who are being persecuted for Jesus' sake in many different places of our world today. There's plenty of opportunity for each of us to help. No compulsion. Voluntarily, 
each of us according to our ability to give away money that we could otherwise spend on ourselves. Well, that's it for this morning. Except I just have one more question. If Barnabas could come amongst us now, would he recognize the grace of God among us in the way that he saw it amongst those Antioch Christians? How and whom do we worship? Do we worship a God of our own ideas, a God that we edit down a little bit to suit us? Or do we worship the God of the Bible, the God who has revealed himself? The hard aspects (laughs) and the soft aspects, as our video was talking about earlier on. Why do we think this God will forgive us? Are we following our own ideas? Or are we following what the New Testament tells us is the actual truth about being received by God through our Lord Jesus Christ? Are we waiting and expecting his return one day? How important is Jesus to us? I'm glad... Chris, you've chosen at least two songs this morning, specifically talking, singing about Jesus. How important is he to us in our lives? Are we concerned that our lives conform to the pattern of God's word? These are things that show the grace of God. And my, my question is, If Barnabas were to come, could he recognize the grace of God amongst us? Do we have compassion for those in need, especially for believers in need, those suffering for their faith in our Lord Jesus Christ? May the God of Barnabas and Paul encourage us and lead us this week and in the coming days.